Welcome to the Phase World Podcast, engaging conversations that cross the boundaries between business, art, and the digital world. Welcome back to the Phase World Podcast. Some of you may know that I've been a martial art practitioner my entire life, and this is one episode I've been eager to release to all of my audience. My next guest is very special. His name is Michael O'Malley. He's my martial art instructor and mentor for over 10 years. After receiving my first degree bike belt in 2005, I continued my training under Mr. O'Malley and was able to advance to second and most recently a third degree bike belt in 2014. Taekwondo has been a practice for me throughout my college and professional life and I still look forward to training multiple times a week. I feel very privileged to interview Mr. O'Malley. He was chosen for the USA Taekwondo team from 1978 through 1982, then elected U.S. team captain in 1980, U.S. team coach in 1984. In 2007, Mr. O'Malley was inducted into the Taekwondo Hall of Fame and eventually received his Lifetime Achievement Award in 2011. In part one, we talked about the first defining competition in his career. What it's like to train 10 to 12 hours a day as a 14-year-old? What is the process to be selected for the U.S. team? Mr. O'Malley does not only speak to the Taekwondo competition at its highest caliber, but also the relationships he formed among his teammates. As a young boy with a very humble beginning and dreams to travel around the world, these competitions helped fulfill his dream and furthermore shaped him into who he is today. In the following episode, we'll learn about the Taekwondo school Mr. O'Malley founded where he continues his teaching as the principal instructor today. I hope you find opportunities to meet and learn from him. Without further ado, please welcome Michael O'Malley. How did you start taekwondo in a sense of competition so you had been training for a little while and what do you still remember when was the the first competition um what was your recollection of that mm, okay so i experienced competition for the first time and um you know i can remember the first time i went out and competed i was uh, a low rank uh, but you had to start somewhere and um I started in sparring and didn't win, and I, then I did forms and I didn't win. I went to the next one, I didn't win, and that went on for probably about uh, six months. It's <laughs> <laughs> only for was... <laughs> a short period of time. Um, so, yeah, yeah, so I was still waiting to win like my first trophy ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, But gradually I got better at it because uh, for some reason um, I always possessed. Uh, well, I was always very competitive to begin with. Mm-hmm. It didn't matter what it was. I, you know, I grew up with four other brothers, and we would fight over <laughs> what was left on the dinner table mm-hmm. to, you know, playing Monopoly mm-hmm. to competing in, in street hockey and football and basketball. So we're all very competitive. So working hard was never an issue for me. So, but I, I was always smart enough to realize 
Um, I may not be good right now, but I am definitely going to get better because I believed in what, I, what was being taught to me. Mm-hmm. And I could see some of the older guys within uh, my group, my peers, um, were um, competing and in, in, in winning against all the, styles at that time. Right. Some of the competitions, were they uh, at the time local, uh, at the state, Massachusetts state level, or... Um, you know, what, what, how are they organized? I think some of the audience may not be expert in you know, martial art competition in general. At that time, there was a hodgepodge of mm-hmm. competitions. You could go and it's just really one style of competition, mm-hmm. um, whether it was a, a tournament that was just for Shotokan guys, but as long as you followed their rules, they would let you compete. <laughs> nice. Um, so very often we would go there and um, they hadn't seen the type of kicking techniques that were unique to Taekwondo that Jay Kim brought to Boston. And uh, we found very quickly that our techniques worked, <clears throat> um, even though they may not let us win because we'd end up, you know, kicking and, and kicking, you know, kicking them in the head, basically, mm-hmm. and where to us there were legitimate points, and to them, you know, that was you know, mm-hmm. rules for disqualification. <laughs> so we get disqualified half the time. Um, and, but nonetheless, you know, we, we would go from tournament to tournament and most of it was usually local, um, sort of up and down the East Coast. Mm-hmm. Um, because there was enough schools at that time in the area to support whatever competitions that they wanted to hold. But again, it wasn't, uh, there weren't that many Taekwondo schools. So, there weren't a lot of Taekwondo competitions at the time. Mm-hmm. So those were scattered throughout the, throughout the country. And normally you'd have to go to New York or down to D.C., somewhere like that, where they would have uh, a lot more frequent Taekwondo tournaments. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, today it's different because Taekwondo is an Olympic sport and, um, you know, the rules are standardized. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they train um, professional referees, mm-hmm. um, and the competitions run pretty smoothly. You know, mm-hmm. there's a whole support. Mm-hmm. I think uh, it's really interesting that there were a mixed styles of uh, martial arts back then that, you know, people with different training uh, coming from different styles actually compete in the same arena. Uh, I think it's, uh, it's really fascinating. I don't think many people can imagine that now because right now it's very... Um, very exclusive to a certain style and now there are multiple taekwondo competitions all over the country and I do want to kind of jump in and I think the audience is pretty anxious to find out that what is that defining a competition there was a competition that um, my first time that I won I was a blue stripe blue stripe rank Mm -hmm. and that one was held in Canada at the um, North American Open Championship, and it was at that time uh, the most prestigious Taekwondo tournament um, in the country, mm-hmm. um, in North America. And so that was run by Grandmaster Park Chung Su. And so I went up there and competed in forms, not sparring, and as a blue stripe, I happened to win uh, the, um, the, I guess you call it the Grand Championship of all the belted ranks. Mm-hmm. And um, and at, at the end of the night, um, I got to perform in front of all of the grandmasters and General Che, the founder of Taekwondo, 
And at the end, General Che presented me with uh, uh, the, the cup. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's talk about that competition real quick because I think I know some backstory. It sounds all very easy that you were there and you won. Um, but I remember the, the true story behind all that is that you practiced for months and months and sometimes, you know, 10, 14 hour days on that one particular form, you know, as a possible 14, 15 year old. And could you tell us something about that? I don't think that's an experience most people can even imagine or come, come close to imagining for any effort. You know, I would put my heart and soul into it. I, I found that I really had a passion for it. You know, at the time, um, I had left home mm-hmm. and I was 14. And Jay Kim had taken me in and I was actually living with him and his wife. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so I, you know, I would receive extra instruction at, at night, uh, when we go home after dinner. And, and then there were times when I would stay at the, at the dojang and I would actually sleep where people change their shoes. I would sleep on, mm-hmm. on that cushion. And, uh, so there were times when I would be working out, you know, nobody six, else seven, was. eight, ten hours a day. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, the school was situated set on on top of a bar called Copperfields, where a lot of people that go to Fenway Park know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And at two o'clock, when the bar got out, the, you know, Brookline Avenue was packed, you mm-hmm. know, with people yelling and screaming, and mm-hmm. traffic's all backed up. And I remember being up on the third floor of the dojang. I could hear the outside noise, mm-hmm. and I was still practicing, you know, at that time at mm-hmm. night. Uh, you know, so it was six to eight, ten hours a day of just pure training. And um, at that time, I was able to prepare for this particular competition. And I decided to do things a little bit differently because I hadn't done so well at the other ones previously. And so I dedicated myself to working pretty diligently on this particular form uh, that I would uh, uh, perform um, at the competition. And... Um, and you we, won. <laughs> and I won, yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> so, so when was, um, I don't know what the discovery process is like for the U.S. team at the time. I'm sure maybe it's perhaps a little different nowadays. But how were you discovered and, you know, who approached you? What was that process like? And maybe it's a process of elimination after you competed at a certain level and have won certain titles and, you know, you go from amateur to a level higher than that so maybe give us a sense for what happened was in um, around 1977 um, Taekwondo had its third world championship and that's when uh, the rules became more standardized Mm -hmm. Um, there were more Taekwondo schools opening throughout the country and therefore, more of the instructors were having their guys compete. Um, so it was really catching on. And in 1978, um, in order to make the U.S. team, you would compete on um, a local level where you had to compete in Massachusetts and you would win um, first, second, or third in your division, which enabled you to move on to the regional competition, Mm -hmm. which is primarily New England. Then you go to the New England trials, and you win first, second, and third. Then you were eligible to compete at the national championships. Mm -hmm. Um, So 
um, that's the process that we went through initially. And um, so I won first in Massachusetts and then first in the regional mm-hmm. competition. But I was still a neophyte at the, at the rules. I didn't quite understand all of it completely. And I really had, other than those two competitions, really no um, real experience in um, Olympic-style mm-hmm. Taekwondo competition. What was your division? Um, the weight division, I think that's what you meant. Um, well, at that time, there were eight weight divisions mm-hmm. uh, similar to boxing. Mm-hmm. From fin weight all the way up to well to uh, to uh, heavyweight, excuse me, um, but there were eight mm-hmm. people on the team, mm-hmm. and so I was one of the middleweights, um, um, and the designation was a welterweight, mm-hmm. and so th- those are the two competitions that I won the state and regional before I was able to go on to the national championship, and so I competed in Washington D.C. And that was in 1978 at Howard University. And um, I, I can remember the place was packed with people. And mm-hmm. it's the first time I really experienced that type of quality mm-hmm. um, in competition. And I felt I was a little, uh, I was confident, but I was a little over my head um, at the, within the first <laughs> couple of fights, just trying to get used to the atmosphere and the actual equipment that we had to wear. Mm-hmm. Uh, was a little intrusive, and I just wasn't comfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just to tell you a, a quick story, um, because if this didn't happen to me, I may not have actually went on and, and mm-hmm. actually ever competed for U.S. team. But my second match, I was pitted against a particular uh, gentleman who was a little short of me, but very stocky, and, mm-hmm. and he was older than I was. And um, I wasn't doing all that well. He was kind of pounding me inside, and... Um, um, I was frustrated trying mm-hmm. to fight this gentleman. Um, anyways, at the end, um, it, the match ended up as a tie. And I didn't really know the rules, but the rule was once you, you had a tie match, which didn't happen all that often, um, you went back into the weight room and the person mm-hmm. that weighed the, the least mm-hmm. won the match. Mm-hmm. That's a quir- quirky <laughs> rule. Um, so I went back and... Um, and they have the scale there, and um, you know these two gentlemen just tied, and, and so they need to find out what the weight is. So um, the person I fought, he takes off his uniform top, mm-hmm. and you know he's totally jacked. You know? <laughs> <laughs> he looked like something out of uh, mm-hmm. out of one of these weightlifting movies. Um, mm-hmm. So he stands on the scale, and then when I took off my top, the guy who was in charge of the weigh-in started laughing <laughs> um, because I was pretty thin. I was, I was tall, lanky, and, and pretty skinny. Mm-hmm. Um, so because of that, I was actually able to win that match because I just I was skinny. So it actually paid yeah. off for me. Yeah. Um, and then for some reason after that, um, as the competition got stiffer, I actually um, got better. Mm-hmm. And so I found myself in the finals and I was competing against um, the gentleman who was uh, currently on the U.S. team. And six months earlier, he had competed in the third world championships, which was held in Chicago. And he had won uh, the uh, bronze medal in the mm-hmm. world championships. And he also was the captain of the U.S. national team. Mm-hmm. Um, in the semifinals, I had fractured my foot. And so I walked out into the final match versus this gentleman, captain, world champion, current mm-hmm. U.S. team member. And there I am, the skinny kid from, from Boston mm-hmm. uh, with, a, with a gimpy foot, 
walking out into the finals. Mm-hmm. Everybody thought I was going to get destroyed. <laughs> and um, for some reason, um, that was the best match of the day for me. Mm-hmm. Um, even though, you know, we were all kind of beat up because you would mm-hmm. fight six, seven times in one day. And these were rounds similar to boxing where there were three minutes mm-hmm. in length. Uh, one minute rest in between, oh. and you would do three rounds. Three minutes, that's a long time. Yeah. These days we get exhausted after one minute. <laughs> oh, yeah? It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, at the end of that match, they raised my hand, and, and I had I had won. And, Great. Um, this was 77, 78? This was 1978, yeah. Yeah, and that opens the door to a whole new set of opportunities and um, do you remember how did they approach you to be on the u.s team was it was well, that they it? didn't approach me at that time if you the national championship was the championship for u.s team trials mm-hmm. so um the last person standing in each weight division uh, became an official member of the u.s national team mm-hmm. so basically as long as you kept winning you were on the team if you lost one match that weekend Mm-hmm. Uh, you were out. Mm-hmm. That's the way it was. It was one and done is the way the matches were set up. Um, so at the end, I I got a chance to uh, meet up with um, my seven other teammates. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, most of them I didn't know, but some of them were storied mm-hmm. uh, competitors in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, that I used to just be in awe of and just reading about them in the magazines. Mm-hmm. And now here I am sitting down at a dinner table with them and mm-hmm. talking to them and um, one of them yeah would you like to name a few I think some of the names will echo as we continue the this part of the story as well well it kind of goes back I mean unless you're a little bit older into the martial arts scene you may not know any of these guys but um, you you had Dae Sung Lee who was the Finway national champion um, he eventually went on to um, coach um, as an as an Olympic team mm-hmm. coach um, in the late 80s, early 90s. Uh, he was also the Chinese national team coach mm-hmm. um, at one point. And Daesung was in the Guinness Book of World Records for winning, um, being on the U.S. team for some crazy, like, eight yeah. years in a row or something wow. like that. Um, but not to take away anything from Daesung, but, mm-hmm. you know, he was a Finway and you couldn't be more than 115 pounds. Oh, and, yeah. I mean, how many men in the country... Mm-hmm. Weight, yeah. I mean, 115 pounds, and I don't know that many, <laughs> and and then have them sort of do what he does, you know, to compete. Yeah. Um, and then you had um, John Holloway, um, who was uh, the middleweight national champion. He was also on the U.S. team prior, mm-hmm. um, and he was one of the more famous, you know, Taekwondo competitors. He was the first to win. Um, the the two primary taekwondo organizations, the ITF and WTF, there wasn't a lot of you know with U.S. team you know you might have a changeover of three out of the eight guys mm-hmm. um, in any given year. Um, so some guys may retire, some guys get beat in competition, mm-hmm. um, but there wasn't a lot of turnover. So mm-hmm. um, some of the guys around that, like, probably two thirds of the guys on the team were on the team prior, you know, to me showing up there that already had experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's fascinating because starting that day or that month that you've been 
is spending a ton of time with these guys and traveling on the road. Uh, I mean, truly spending time that people, you know, like myself can't quite imagine, right? It's spending eight hours at work with my coworker seems like a long time already. But what is the friendship like with people at this caliber, you know, training and representing your, your country? Um, so what was the, the friendship like then and perhaps now? I want to give them a quick window into uh, what that dynamic is like. And then. Well, um, we were a group of men, um, young men, mm-hmm. um, between the ages of 17 to 25, basically, mm-hmm. um, that were thrown together. <clears throat> you know, my teammates, um, we came from all over the country. Uh, a couple of them were from Hawaii, mm-hmm. D.C., New York, Ohio. Um, Boston and um, we were thrown together and told that we were the team that would represent the United States um, in the World Championships uh, Pan American Games and and other world events and um, it was unlike other countries um, the um, support that the U.S. gives its national teams is actually quite trivial, mm-hmm. and you would think as powerful a country and um, <clears throat> with all its resources, you would give it more uh, um, support, but it was actually the opposite. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the other countries, they, they national teams were supported by the government, and these teams would get together about a, a year before the World Championships and actually train and become a serious team. Mm-hmm. Um, for us, um, we would get together in training camps uh, sometimes as little as two weeks mm-hmm. before mm-hmm. a major competition. Um, sometimes we had a month or two perhaps to get ready. Um, the World Championships um, that year, um, they had a World Games in Korea, and that was the first competition, international competition that I competed in. Mm-hmm. Um, we had about a month worth of training before you know we, we sort of bonded as a team. And I learned pretty quickly when I showed up at training camp um, that these guys were pretty serious about about mm-hmm. what they did and. It really actually gave me some relief um, because I was always very serious about what I had done. Mm-hmm. And, you know, being in the, the school in Boston uh, among people that are my brothers and sisters um, in Taekwondo, and, but they all had jobs and they were mm-hmm. college professors. They already had goals, other goals in life. They mm-hmm. loved to do Taekwondo, but it mm-hmm. wasn't uh, the level that, that I was doing it at. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I showed up, at the competition, uh, at the at the um, training camp, excuse me. Uh, I really found that's that's where I belonged, mm-hmm. and I, I think my I, I took my um, training and I took my knowledge to another level. Mm-hmm. And these guys, the, these guys really pushed me along mm-hmm. as I pushed them. You share the same vision, same goal, and. And also, really, there's a bonding effect. I feel like, to a certain degree, it's, it's teamwork, even though when you competed, it's a very much of a solo act. 
but your seven, eight brothers, you know, you're really competing at every weight level, every division, but together you're representing the U.S. team. And uh, by the way, I was wondering, I actually don't know the answer uh, to this question, that all eight of you compete at a division, but to determine if a country has, you know, has won the competition, is it a collective um, overview of how each one of you uh, performed, or is it based on individual uh, effort? Yeah, it's an individual competition. Mm-hmm. You each compete in your weight division. Mm-hmm. Um, you go representing your country, uh, mm-hmm. but you really go in there to compete in your division. Yeah. Um, and the way that the team um, competition is established in terms of what team wins for a second and third is established by how many points you get for for winning. So, for example, gold medal mm-hmm. would be worth X number of points. Mm-hmm. Silver medal is worth X number of points, and bronze medal. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how they determine the team competition. Even though you win as an individual, you know that gets added to the team total. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, quite frankly, at that time. Um, for reasons that I just mentioned in terms of the ability and the resources and support that one got from um, representing you know, the United States um, and, and other reasons. Um, the U.S. team was sort of in maybe in the top third of the countries, but it definitely wasn't uh, um, within the top three or top five in the world. Korea was the powerhouse Mm-hmm. Uh, you had teams like Mexico um, mm-hmm. and um, and some others. Taiwan mm-hmm. uh, uh, had a great team, and um, so you know they they spent many 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 months together with all the support uh, to get ready. Whereas you know we we were kind of left on our own. There mm-hmm. were times when we had to travel uh, to meet at training camps, and we had to pay for our own way mm-hmm. uh, just to get to the training camp. Mm-hmm. And when we got there, they supported us. It wasn't anything fancy. I could tell you, like in 1979, mm. at my first world championship in, in Germany, Stuttgart, Germany, um, they didn't even have a hotel for us, for the U.S. Mm. team. We ended up actually living on the U.S. Army base mm. for a month. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I always remember that our, our beds were two sticks that were attached to this, you know, really rough wool mm-hmm. that all the other soldiers slept on. Mm-hmm. And we had our own barracks. Um, in a lot of ways, it was one of the most interesting times of my life, mm-hmm. uh, living on the, on the Army base and just getting up. And all we had to do was train, and we'd go eat in the mess hall with all the soldiers. Mm-hmm. And then they came and supported us, you know, at, at the World Championships. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds like, you know, uh, because of competition, Taekwondo is, is an opportunity that has taken you, taken you to, you know, many various parts of the United States and beyond that uh, to the world. You've uh, mentioned to me that you like traveling a lot, and in this case, a little bit of a traveling for work situation, but perhaps a little different. Um, do you mind highlighting a few countries or experiences that you know you still have very strong uh, memories for, and um, share some stories there? Sure. Um, you know, I mean, I this is just a backdrop, but I, um, you know, I, I grew up in a pretty poor mm-hmm. area of Boston, Roxbury and Dorchester. You mm-hmm. know, my mother 
uh, raised five boys mm-hmm. um, alone. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we lived on welfare at the time. We were even homeless for a couple of times and lived at a shelter. Mm-hmm. Um, and the two things that I, I, I sort of found um, for myself, and I'll always remember this, was I had a love for sports mm-hmm. and I used to love reading. And so I was involved in, in you know, many sports, um, and I found I was fairly good at it. I was, I was naturally quick, I had mm-hmm. good reflexes. I, was, I think I was intelligent enough to absorb um, whatever people are trying to coach me with. And in reading, I love comic books, mm-hmm. and I used to love natu- uh, National Geographic. Mm-hmm. I would dream about all these faraway places mm-hmm. and the cultures mm-hmm. and the language and the history. Mm-hmm. And through Taekwondo, I was able to, to you know, live out a big part of my imagination as a child. You know, I got mm-hmm. to perform a sport at a very high level, mm-hmm. uh, at a world-class level. And because of that, I was able to travel throughout the world. As long as I kept winning, you know, you got a chance <laughs> to travel. Um, but I get to see these other cultures and um, experience how other people lived and what they thought. And it was eye-opening. You know, it was meaningful. And um, I think it, you know, it, it definitely affected me and changed me as mm-hmm. a person. I had more of a world view of things rather than the view of just growing up in Dorchester. Right, and then some of the countries that you had mentioned, including very far away, you know, for instance, Korea, Taiwan, and Germany. Yep, yep. so when I went to, um, first time I was on an airplane was when I was 14. Mm-hmm. I went to Mr. Kim, my instructor actually taking me to Disney World of all places. <laughs> I forget why we went, but we went to Disney World. Mm-hmm. But that was the one? first time I'd been on a plane. LA, Disney World no, was no, in Florida. Florida. Okay. Yeah, Florida. Yeah. Um, but the second time I was on an airplane, because mm-hmm. um, even when we traveled to all these competitions, we always drove, mm-hmm. packed the car, and we'd all could just go. But the second time uh, was when I became a member of the U.S. team in 78, mm-hmm. and we attended the World Games in Korea. And so there I am flying, you know, whatever. Then it took a little bit longer to get there, so 20, 24 hours to get to Korea mm-hmm. with my teammates. And I remember, and I still have this image in my head, just flying over Korea at the time. And it's not like the Korea you know today, the Mm -hmm. cosmopolitan, Mm -hmm. modern, you know, world-class city that it is now. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was flying over what appeared to me to be rice paddies. Mm -hmm. And I just sat there thinking, I was just so in awe. Mm -hmm. I couldn't believe that this is what's happening to me it's it's I couldn't believe that it was true here Mm -hmm. I am Mm -hmm. traveling and here I am in Korea the one place I always wanted to go to Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's really that's really insane that's it's a beautiful story but I wonder when you when you land in Korea and there you are you need to join a competition and not only that you're competing at a country where Taekwondo was born so perhaps you've competed there multiple times. So what is the situation when you win? How do local people react to that? That someone from the U.S. team actually beat us in our own sport? <laughs> um, well, well, that particular competition, 
they didn't have to worry about it because we really didn't do that well. <laughs> so um, it was pretty tough, you know, I mean, to be Korea, you know, in our backyard, never mind, you know, going to Korea and fighting in the World Taekwondo headquarters called the Kukiwan, which was this stadium, indoor yeah. stadium built on top of our, <sighs> our hill. Um, and you would drive up and you could see the stadium and um, that was the mecca for Taekwondo mm -hmm. and that's where they held the competition and you know it was not, it was televised and mm -hmm. as luck would have it um, you know all the pressure of me traveling my first actual competition uh, my very first fight was with Korea mm -hmm. and as luck would have it, my fight started off the whole competition, mm -hmm. and it was televised mm -hmm. <laughs> at the same time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, I felt when I walked, um, so I'm, I'm warming up and I'm bouncing around, mm -hmm. and um, there is this uh, assistant coach, mm -hmm. and um, and I, I can't remember his name. Is a Korean gentleman, very nice person. And he uh, and he says, "Oh, you're fighting Korea." <laughs> Thank you. So I said, "Yeah, piece of cake." And he said, "Yeah, but big piece of cake." <laughs> and he was right; it was a big piece of cake. Mm -hmm. And I felt completely, um, it felt like an unnatural spot to be in for me. Mm -hmm. um, there was so much pressure at mm -hmm. that time, mm -hmm. and the quality of competition. I realized then. Unfortunately, I realized like a couple of minutes before I was supposed to fight that mm -hmm. um, everybody else in that gym was probably working mm -hmm. out six, ten hours a day you know, well. for their entire life, you yeah. know. And so it was really an eye-opening, you know, learning experience for me that first time. Yeah. Um, I really didn't do that well. And, but most of the other guys didn't do that great either a couple of us made it to the uh, to win bronze medal I believe I can't really remember what everybody else won at that time mm -hmm. but when I came back um, I learned so much about the international method of competing it was different than competing in the US mm -hmm. um, rules were although they were very similar there were some nuances to it mm -hmm. um, and learning how to engage um, uh, the referees and, and <laughs> the, the subtleties of, of, of yeah. using them and using the rules to your advantage. Mm -hmm. um, I gained a lot of insight too. So, you know, I didn't win, but in in the in the long run, I did win because mm -hmm. I just gained so much experience from it. Yeah. So um, I think so far we've sounded very humble all along. I think maybe we can fast forward to the Pan America game real quick and talk about what it is and how significant of an experience well that was my second international competition mm -hmm. that was in held in mexico city mm -hmm. um, mexico was a powerhouse in the taekwondo um, community mm -hmm. um, just as they were in boxing and still are mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. boxing very true and um that was uh, that was a little bit different in that the venue was um, an indoor stadium mm -hmm. but it was packed standing room only mm -hmm. and the crowd was so close to the ring on top of it mm -hmm. and of course you know we were the gringos from from up north <laughs> and, uh, and so 
and this was the very first Pan American Games. Mm-hmm. So it was an historical uh, international event, and it was an important uh, event too because um, you had to have an, a number of Pan American Games um, as, a, as an international sport mm-hmm. to eventually be recognized as an Olympic sport. Mm. You know, we competed there, and I remember the first match, one of my teammates goes out, and within 10 seconds, he gets knocked out. Oh, no. So that was the, that was the great start. Um, but things improved for us um, pretty dramatically. We had a number of guys in the finals, including me. Mm-hmm. And um, at that time, um, I ended up winning the bronze medal. Mm-hmm. And so even though it was not what I wanted, um, mm-hmm. I did become the first American in my weight division mm-hmm. to medal. Um, I mean, mainly because it was the first Pan American Games anyways, but mm-hmm. nonetheless, it was the first one to medal. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that was quite an experience as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's very significant, uh, you know, even if it's one of the, f- the few um, games out there, um, Pan Ang game still uh, has its, it's still considered to be one of the most competitive and one of the most recognized games uh, until today, I believe. So Yeah, well, what happened later was, um, if you fast forward, Mm-hmm. A couple of years later, mm-hmm. um, I was again a member of the U.S. team, and we had the second Pan American Games in in Houston, Texas, mm-hmm. and so it was on our home soil. And we ended up um, that was the first time America had ever won uh, the team gold medal mm-hmm. in an international competition. Mm-hmm. And my fight, it was um, ironic that. Um, we we had um, tied in the gold medal match Mexico versus U.S. Uh, three to three. Mm-hmm. One other South American country won a gold medal, and my fight ended up being the last fight mm-hmm. of the event. And I'm fighting Mexico, and at the same time, it was for the team championship, mm-hmm. and so I had won that, mm-hmm. and so winning the gold medal. Um, was gratifying not because it was just for me, but because we won it for the first time, you know, as a team mm. in international competition. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the U.S. became more recognized for its competitors, you know, from that point on. Mm-hmm. I remember looking at the record. This was from years ago, and I want to make sure I quote this correctly. Um, but there was a, um, I guess what you call it, a roster, and it's still posted um, of competition for Taekwondo and at every weight range and your name appeared I believe four to five times in a row and I was thinking to myself at the time you know as a gold uh, medalist um, that there's a little bit of a Lance Armstrong effect going on there and I could barely see another name even repeating twice on the same list you know over a course of um, you know any given amount of years so yeah well I I think at the time um, I don't think I was the only one. In fact, I know I wasn't because uh, my close friend, Jung Shik Che, who was the bantamweight national champion, had won about four years in a row. Mm-hmm. But I think was one of the first, mm-hmm. if not the first, to win consecutively for four years in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a pretty tough thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, what's funny is I had competed um, for two years in a row. And what they make you do is you don't have to go through the regional or state qualifiers. Mm -hmm. But when you show up at the US team trials, you have to go through the eliminations just like everybody else. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So for two years in a row, you know, I had won, and you just can't you, you just can't lose even once. Mm. Um, third year um, in Berkeley, California, at the University UC Berkeley, mm -hmm. and I was actually not going to compete. I decided to retire mm. because, um, well, part of the reason was I was. Um, going to visit my instructor, Jay Kim, who was now living in Korea. He mm. left the U.S. in, in 1979, mm. uh, do his time, obligated time in the, in the, the Air Army. Force in oh, Korea. Air Force. Yeah. You know, he was one of the principal reasons why I was competing, you know, and, um, and so when he was gone, um, I really didn't work out at all. Mm. After the second year, um, I decided I wasn't going to compete and just concentrate on building up the school. Mm -hmm. uh, in Boston because Jay Kim was no longer there and I was the primary instructor even mm -hmm. though I was only 20 years old. <laughs> and that's a story for another time perhaps. But mm -hmm. um, uh, So I, I travel out to Berkeley and I'm on my way to see Jay Kim in Korea and I thought I would just stop over in California. Mm -hmm. And so all my buddies are you know trying out again for US team and I get there and then they start to bug me about just trying it one more time, one mm -hmm. more time. Mm -hmm. I didn't even bring my uniform with me mm -hmm. and I hadn't worked <laughs> out in you know, six or eight months. Mm -hmm. um, but for some reason, foolishly, I decided to do it. And at the end of the weekend, there I am in the finals again. <laughs> mm -hmm. And. Um, for some reason, um, that whole weekend, um, I felt like I was invincible. <laughs> I hadn't trained for six, eight months, but yet there I am doing things with my body that I um, really didn't think I had another gear, mm -hmm. and I, I did. I brought it up to another level, and mm -hmm. at the end of that competition, um, I was presented not only with medal and, again, on the U.S. team, but I was given the Ken Min Award, which is, I was only second person to be given this award. Um, my friend John Holloway was the first mm -hmm. um, for uh, my accomplishments in leadership mm -hmm. um, in Taekwondo competition. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that that's what ended up happening, and I ended up on U.S. team again and flying over and, mm -hmm. and competing in international competitions again, and the following year, um, I decided I would do it one more time, and I, I won then. So, so basically, within that five-year period, mm -hmm. at least within the United States, I, I didn't lose um, mm -hmm. one match in mm -hmm. that time frame. So, and I retired, you know, having been uh, undefeated in, in North America. Mm -hmm. um, not that many people story. have that. that yeah, background. it's a great track record. I think one of um, the build-up we didn't really mention early on is. You know, obviously that uh, I've been training under you for quite some time, but even before I met you, you know, I started Taekwondo and at the Boston School that you had mentioned that you build up and, um, you know, you're, you're absolutely um, a legend with very, very legendary stories behind you. And even before you were um, working in the school on a more full-time basis and, you know, I heard stories from I remember from my days, some of the toughest guys, and you know, some of them are way more experienced, older than I am, to tell me about these stories, how invincible you were, even way before at the national, international level. 
So um, I think some of the descriptions were things like you're lightning fast, like without like without exaggeration, which I found that to be um, to be really interesting. So <laughs> yeah, well, two things happened yeah. back then. Um, you know, at that time, as I mentioned earlier, we, uh, J. Kim had us going out to compete initially to kind of put the school on the map. Mm-hmm. What was what also was going on was you also had um, the influx and popularity of these um, martial art movies, mm-hmm. and of course, everybody knows Bruce Lee. Mm-hmm. And it was about that time that those movies, you know, came online, and we were all going to see them and yeah. getting excited. Um, you know, he was quite a character. And, you know, the premise of most of those movies is, you know, some martial art villain would come in, and he would go in and go into town, and he would look for the um, uh, martial arts school and go in and challenge, you know, mm-hmm. the grandmaster and, and their, their students, right? Mm-hmm. And, so that was a popular message within the movies. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, um, in, in Boston, a lot of these guys from other styles uh, thought that, well, that's what you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. So they would come up to the Boston school and they would challenge us. <laughs> so, so Jay Kim, you know, was there and, you know, and, um, you know, he would, give us, you know, um, a shot at this particular person, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes, a lot of times, and later it was always me, <laughs> but there were other guys, it wasn't just me, there was Tom Lavelle and and John Lee, who eventually was actually on the U.S. team as well from the same school and took a bronze medal in world championships in 1983, mm-hmm. um, and uh, we would have a go at this particular person, mm-hmm. and some of it was pretty hilarious, you know, like, and we had this... Um, we had this system down where when they came up and they wanted to, to spar with us, um, we would give them, we would tell them that they had to wear, you know, a uniform. So, of course, you know, they'd go in the back room and we'd bring this uniform in and the uniform hadn't been washed in, in you know, ever. And uh, sometimes, yeah, there was blood all over the front of it. And it was probably either too small or too big for them. And, um, you know, they'll give them something to think about while they're in the locker room. And we're all, like, picking straws, like, who was going to fight this guy because we all couldn't wait. And very often their notion of sparring was totally foreign to us because their version of sparring was pretending to spar, like mimicking kicking and punching, but we weren't <laughs> supposed to actually hit each other, right. you know, where... To us, it was like we were defending our honor, mm-hmm. and um, you know we were going to leave your teeth on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> Back in the old days, I, I think when people watch the Taekwondo competition these days, you have headgear, chest protector, all that. Back in the old days, either inside the dojang for you, or even at the the international stage, right? There's barely any protective gear, which is very difficult for me to imagine. Yeah, well, in those those days, um, unlike today, you're right. I mean, yeah. um, and I, I think it's 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 better for the athletes today, anyways, because mm-hmm. you know, with all these head injuries mm-hmm. that can occur, and um, I haven't heard of anybody dying in taekwondo competitions, um, but mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it, it's it was kind of heading that way. Mm-hmm. Um, 
back when I did it, there was no headgear for one thing. Mm -hmm. um, you wore very little equipment except for a chest protector and of course you wore a cup mm -hmm. um, but, and maybe a foot pad, but that was about it. Mm -hmm. These days, you know, they're pretty well protected and they're actually adding um, there's uh, plans now that they'll be wearing a face cage mm -hmm. um, and other equipment. Um, but it's it's really for the safety of of these kids who are competing now. You know they're becoming bigger and faster, and right. Um, you know it's, it's a matter of time for somebody really really gets seriously hurt. And nobody yeah. wants that. So, mm -hmm. but interestingly enough, though, even competing on world class level, you would think there'd be a lot of people getting hurt and mm -hmm. knocked out. I mean, yeah, you get hurt in terms of clashing your legs together and mm -hmm. getting pounded off your chest. You know, with f you know feet and fist, but. Um, Nobody really got hurt all that often on the face level because mm -hmm. at that at that level the guys are all trained. They're mm -hmm. not going to stand there and let you hit them. You know, right. we didn't have any um, ropes keeping us in a ring mm -hmm. uh, where we were trapped. Um, so there, you had a lot more freedom to move around. Right. And there were no barriers to backing up. Mm -hmm. You can only back up so far. There was a ring, mm -hmm. um, but nobody really got hurt um, because I think just the skill level, mm -hmm. you know, the world class level, the reaction. They don't just uh, wait around for you to hit them, you mm -hmm. know. So that concluded part one with Mr. O'Malley. In the following episode, you will learn about the Taekwondo school Mr. O'Malley founded, where he continues his teaching as a principal instructor today. I hope you find opportunities to meet and learn from him. To listen to more episodes of the Face World podcast, please subscribe on iTunes or visit faceworld.com. That is F-E-I-S-W-O-R-L-D, where you can find show notes, links, other tools, and resources. You can also follow me on Twitter at Face World. Until next time, thanks for listening.